Hello, everyone, and welcome back to I Need God Pod, a podcast about religion, spirituality, and the internet. My name is Godlover Kyle, and I'm the admin for the Instagram page, I Need God in Every Moment of My Life. And today I'm speaking with Tara Isabella Burton. Tara is a writer of fiction and nonfiction alike. She has a new book called Here in Avalon coming out soon. She has studied theology at Oxford University, and she has been a journalist about religion and spirituality for online media. And today we're talking mostly about her book, Strange Rights, which I just read. And it's kind of about remixing religion in the post-internet age and how institutionalized religion is waning and people are creating their own bespoke spiritual practices. And um, that's mostly what we talk about. So if you're interested in that, Tara has a lot to say. So let's just get right into it. As kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumbled over rim and roundy wells, stones ring. Like each tucked string tells, each hung bell's bow swung finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same, deals out that being indoors each one dwells. Selves goes itself, myself it speaks and spells, crying what I do is me. For that I came. I say more. The just man, Justice, keeps grace that keeps all his goings graces, acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is, Christ, for Christ plays in ten thousand places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not his, to the Father through the features of men's faces. Okay, so I'm at your house. We're talking. I read your book or most of your book called Strange Rights. And that's mainly why I reached out to you to do this. Um, And I was curious, just if you could let everyone know a little bit about yourself and your practices and how you arrived even to writing about religion and spirituality. Um, So I I sort of started out as a a theologian uh, that didn't know I was going to become or re-become, depending on how you count it, uh, a Christian. Mm, like born uh, again. Yeah. <laughs> or because you're born it, Christian. I was born sort of Christian-ish, Jewish-ish, Christmas and Easter Episcopalian, but also mm. uh, Hanukkah and Passover with cousins. Oh, um, I see. And I, I always joke about this, that like some kids get really into horses, and I got really into God. I was uh-huh. about like nine or ten, and I am... Um, I think I saw a Joan of Arc miniseries okay. uh, on TV. I don't know what it was, but I got very intensely uh, fixated on the idea that I need to get baptized. And so my my very supportive, slightly perplexed mother was sort of like, okay, sure, we'll do that. And I I was sort of deeply devoted for a couple of years when I was, you know, nine or 10. Mm. Uh, and it <laughs> fell away. Uh, or, or sort of still like would have called myself a Christian, but was not someone who, who went to church or like really did anything. Yeah. You weren't uh, like forced to go. It was like, you just became intensely interested very yeah, young. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then I, I sort of stopped being, or I, I was interested in it intellectually for a very long time. So I, I went to Oxford when I was 18 mm. and studied nothing but theology for nine years, did oh my all my God. degrees in theology, wanted to be an academic theologian. Oh, stop. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that was my, my plan for my life and still was not really a practice i was a sort of christmas and easter sure i guess it's true christian but also you know a little bit of witchcraft here a little bit of tarot there Mm -hmm. uh a little bit of you know soul cycle wellness culture etc etc and it was really only when i was in the process of researching strange rights so i'd come back to new york after finishing my doctorate i decided to go into journalism rather than academia and i was working for a uh, vox.com that's vvox not f fox mm-hmm. uh, as their religion correspondent and one of the sort of interesting things about vox in 2017 and also about sort of the way that online media was working was mm-hmm. that my job was to do a lot of the traditional religion stories which of the time 2017 was like trump and evangelicals trump and evangelicals mm, yeah evangelical right yeah yeah it was, it was but the the other thing i kind of ended up covering which was sort of specific because i was at vox and for a particular audience was a lot of witchcraft stories a lot of mm, yoga wellness stories they all totally. fell under my remit uh, I remember I did one on like the witches hexing Trump. This was the oh heyday gosh. of anti-Trump yes. uh, witchcraft. Or I remember Lana Del Rey like made a tweet about hexing Trump. Exactly. That was, <laughs> yeah. it was absolutely like there was a, a brief shining moment in, in internet <laughs> culture where everybody was a resistance witch. Totally. Um, I mean, I remember it's like peak Tumblr, honestly, or post Tumblr. I remember because I remember during that time I had I, I remember buying I bought crystals I went to Catland even. I remember... Oh, yeah. I remember Catland was like the center. Of, yeah. That's where they did the main I uh, really, Trump hacks. Yeah. And I really... Since maybe 2016 or 20... Even a little earlier than 2017, I'm like, I've studied astrology now since then. And I'm, I'm an astrologer now. I totally... That was totally a time. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was def- It was a moment. It was a cultural moment. Yeah. And that's so Vox, too. It, yeah, exactly. Uh, but in, in the end, I, I left Vox to finish the book. And... Around that time, I had been coming back to church sort of without realizing that's what I was doing. Mm. Met someone on Twitter who said, come to church with me. And one thing led to another, et cetera, oh et cetera. What kind of church? Uh, so I'm, I'm Episcopalian, oh, but Episcopal. within the, within the um, Anglo-Catholic are you, tradition. Are you English or British? I'm not. No, okay. I am, I'm half Italian, half American. Okay. Uh, but I mostly grew up here in New York City. Okay, I see. That's but, different for... That's different. Because <laughs> uh, isn't Episcopalian like the official Church of England? Or? Uh, sort of. It's the American... Functionally, it's like the American version of... Oh, the okay. Church of England, which oh, is I Anglicans. See. Oh, okay. Uh, although I guess Anglicanism has a different meaning in the U.S. because it's associated with ACNA, which is a sort of splinter. Tr- anyway, <laughs> sure. For the purposes of of this, I'm, I'm just a, a boring Episcopalian and was always a boring Episcopalian, except now I believe it more. Yeah. Uh, but I'm within the Anglo-Catholic tradition, which okay. basically means uh, a lot of incense and uh, it's sort of a liturgical mm-hmm. movement. It's not like a denomination. Okay. But I. I uh, Lots of music, lots of smells and bells, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. It's very Catholic adjacent. Yeah, yeah. it's very, yeah. you know, we do we do our Marian devotions. We uh, mm. we adore the Eucharist, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, love. Um, but yeah, it's good fun. Uh, <laughs> so sort of Strange Rites, I think, was interesting because when I was working on it, it was both around the time of my... I don't know if you call it a conversion or a return or mm, something. I, right. I don't have a return. good word for it yet. To the return uh, to faith. But also um, it was at a kind of both an academic and a journalistic and, and to some extent a personal attempt to work out like right. my own religious experience as a like tw- then 20 something New Yorker who had mm. 
you know, I've probably been involved with almost every single movement in the book that I write about. Okay. I was Um, curious about that. I was like, okay, you're writing from your experience feeling yeah. spiritually drawn towards these yeah. different movements and i i think that that was what i what i wanted to do in strange rights was not to write the like christian book about how crystals are bad right. um, there's a pl- you know i'm sure there's a place for that but i did want to what i wanted to write was a critical but sympathetic account of what it means to in the post-internet age where there's massive, massive institutional mistrust, including for ecclesiastical institutions, including for very, very good reasons, e.g. sex abuse scandals, etc., that why the kind of weirdness and sense of religion being something that every person curates and creates and mm-hmm. remixes for themselves has become so culturally prevalent. Mm-hmm. And I was interested in both the the potential of that, particularly for people who might have experienced some kind of marginalization in the religions uh, they were, they were, they grew up in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a, a really interesting statistic here is that like uh, uh, queer Christian or sorry, queer Americans are, much more likely than the national average to be um, Mm -hmm. religiously unaffiliated. It's almost 50% compared to around 25%, although that I think number is now old. I think it's now closer to 30 Mm. of of the general public. Right. So I guess I was interested in thinking what through this, this, this question of what does religion look like in the post-internet age in an era where more and more of us are encouraged by the the dominant culture in the U S at least Mm -hmm. to do what feels good or find ourselves or, or be yourself, you know, be yourself and, and kind of try to see, I, 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 I'm not opposed to that on principle. Right. I think that there are very valid and real reasons why someone might be drawn to that, especially against the, the sort of specter of, of either nothingness or certain kinds of oppression. Mm-hmm. That said, um, I don't think, net that this phenomenon is a good thing i think there are good things in it but so i have my reservations yeah same i mean when i got to i read the conclusion part on the way here on the in the car because i didn't read every chapter fully and you know the conclusion usually has a little bit of every chapter and i was like you know i feel similarly a bit where it's like i agree that we shouldn't necessarily condemn or judge new ways or how people just feel spiritually towards new idols or pieces of media or capitalist fodder, whatever, you know, because we naturally are inclined, we are spiritual beings and Mm. we live in a messy spiritual time. But at the same time, like this is dark sided. People need God, (laughs) like actual God, not a God that's like Severus Snape, for instance, or Goop, you know, like, there needs to be something beyond and above that that isn't rooted in like capitalism, whiteness, colonialism, tech culture, all these things you kind of go through in the book a bit. I think what's interesting, and I've become increasingly convinced both in Strange Rights and in my follow-up book, Self Made, that there um we're not talking just about a kaleidoscope of different religious practices or spiritual mm. practices. You know, it may, may seem seem sort of disparate. You know, how does what does Harry Harry Potter fandom have to do with Soul Cycle? What does that have to do with, you know, Burning Man? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that increasingly we can see these commonalities, and not just in the individual phenomena, but in the kind of mentality underpinning the whole remixing movement, okay. which is that 
they're roughly speaking, and this is obviously reductionist, okay. there's some kind of energy out there in the universe. And the closest thing to God or the divine is some kind of energy. Mm-hmm. And by looking inwards and focusing on our feelings and our desires and kind of coming to know ourselves, we can get in touch with and or harness that energy. Mm-hmm. And that's something you find in the New Thought tradition, uh, which is uh, enormously influential on kind of later occult and adjacent movements as well as wellness culture it's a huge uh, precursor of things like the law of attraction uh, and manifesting but also just the sense that like (laughs) excuse me also just the sense that what we want our internal effective selves is a more reliable guide to the divine than any other kind of element of our selfhood Mm -hmm. and i think that's the point where where things start to get a little bit theologically dicey okay almost like a colonization of our insides. Yeah, I, I'd say so. I mean, I think the the idea that one of the truest things about human beings, and I think, you know, okay. there's a great literature attesting to this, is that, like, we don't really know what we want. Like, we're very bad at knowing ourselves. True. We're bad at knowing what we want. We're bad at knowing who we are. And yes. the idea that somehow... Someone's going to inform us and give us who we are is so so assuring and makes you feel safe and known and seen yeah i mean and i think i think i think the idea that we are that we can only access the divine through some kind of imagined authentic self okay just makes us uh, very vulnerable to people who make us feel that way or, right. or you know whether it's to buy something exactly consume yeah and it, it is it becomes a sort of like well if i if I buy this or I buy this candle or I go to this class yes. or I spend this money in this way. And I, I am particularly critical of movements when they do involve big expenditures. Sure. Yeah. But the sense that, you know, in the absence of mm-hmm. any robust notion of an ex like external truth, like, is this true? Is this real? Did God really like come down to earth and become incarnate? Like, did <laughs> yeah. these things happen or not? And if what mm-hmm. we're left with is, did it happen? Did it not happen? Whatever, as long as it feels good for you, like do do what you want. The truth doesn't mm, matter. Mm. And I and that's obviously a, a simplification. But sure. I think that when we start thinking about prag- sort of pragmatic effects on our psyche of stories, without thinking about do we believe them? Do they transform us? Mm. Then it starts to. Um, open the door towards uh, valorizing desire, what we want, what we feel. And in a capitalist context, like when, when everything runs on desire and our economy also runs on desire, yes. suddenly what we want is a commodity for people to make money off or in the attention economy yes. clicks, which lead to money. Off. Yes. And also, and also then to become the perfect product ourselves to like to become a commodity even a perfect one somehow absolutely (laughs) it's like biopolitics i guess um okay let's back up just a little bit and just break it down more simply back to just this idea that okay there's institutions that we have that are waning spiritual ones secular ones alike and people are finding themselves still having spiritual wants and needs and desires that need to be fulfilled And so new categories of spiritual identification start to open up. One is called spiritual but not religious, which is almost like a census answer or the religious nuns. And this kind of new category opens up a way to talk about remix culture through the internet essentially could we just talk about like what spiritual but not religious means what the spiritual what the religious nuns are 
and then also remix culture in relationship to that? Absolutely. So um, the spiritual but not religious, the religious nuns, etc. All of these terms come out of different censuses and different sort of attempts to quantify uh, often Pew and PRRI are behind a lot of these uh, data about what Americans actually believe or profess to believe or how they self-understand, at least on forms. Mm -hmm. Now, um, because there's different institutions running these different polls, we don't have like one answer. We have a a, a sort of set of answers, all of which can help paint a picture of what's going on. And I I will caveat this by saying, so Strange Rights uh, came out in 2020. My data uh, Mm. was from, you know, the book was written in 2019, so a little before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, as I, uh, Ryan Burge is like the number one uh, numbers guy for for these statistics. And I was recently on a panel with him, and basically every number that I'm giving you, just sort of crank it up to 12 to have the latest, uh, <laughs> okay. most updated uh, it's information. Like, yeah, growing. Uh, it's a growing. Quickly. It's a growing phenomenon. Like my numbers are out of date now. Wow. Um, but so about 20 percent of Americans in around 2019, said that they're spiritual but not religious, which is something along the lines of, I don't go to church, I don't go to synagogue or mosque or what have you, but I I consider myself to be a spiritual person, whatever that might mean. There is another category of people who sort of come through a different set of polling. So about 25% of Americans, this goes up to 36% of younger Americans, young millennials and and Zoomers, uh, say they're religiously unaffiliated. And that does not mean they're atheists or agnostics. Uh, Those are actually very small um, in self-reporting, although this may be because uh, self-identity was atheist. There's still a stigma around mm-hmm. calling yourself an atheist versus mm-hmm. an agn- agnostic. But roughly speaking, 25% unaffiliated, don't bo- tick the box on a form saying I belong to this tradition. Mm-hmm. However, of those, about 72% say they believe in higher power. And about 20% say they believe in uh, the God of the Bible, I believe <laughs> is the word of the wording of the poll. Okay. So you have this sort of other way of thinking about the the religious nuns or the, the spirit that kind of come out of a different set of polling. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the third category that I talk about in Strange Rights, which I think is both a little bit more revealing, precisely because there are people who might not think of themselves in this category, Mm. are people who may identify on the form with a religious tradition, Mm -hmm. but whose actual beliefs and practices suggest a comfort with non-orthodox ways of being Mm -hmm. uh, a faithful member of that community yeah many boomers i would say my parents (laughs) um and you know that's obviously harder to track and i don't want and 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 a kind of difficulty here is like at no point in human at no point in in history do i think has there ever been every member of a religious community you know actually believes everything orthodoxically yeah like this isn't new necessarily you know folk magic's been around as part of christianity for pretty much throughout western europe right onwards you can't capture Uh, on a form like and so you know i it, it may be that there is on a personal level, not less has changed and the changes mm. on a cultural level of this mm. being kind of accepted and celebrated. True. But you do have like something like a quarter of self-identified Christians say they believe in reincarnation. Okay. According to one pupil. Yeah. And so it's like, how do you, My mom. you know, it's, you know, you could believe if you want no one's stopping you, but that is not an Orthodox Christian view. Right. And if you are going to call yourself a Christian and say, and I believe in reincarnation, that does mean that something is going on. And that's right, something, what's going on. That's something I call in my book, uh, remixing. Okay. So it's this idea that the individual has the power, the authority to kind of take a little here, a little there, 
and reimagine their own bespoke religious identity and religious life as something that ultimately they have the authority to kind of decide you know mm-hmm. i i identify as this but mm-hmm. i also my spiritual life comes from x y and z and there's also you know gradations of that um i'm sure, sure. i think probably most of like very few of us are quote unquote perfectly orthodox traditionalists right and even among people who are perfectly orthodox traditionalists i'm sure that many of us have uh things that are spiritual for us that are not encompassed by a religious tradition whether Absolute, it's yes. reading poetry or walking in nature so yes. it is you know it is a, a spectrum but i think yes. that the the idea that this is sort of a dominant notion culturally and I think this is a distinctively post-internet notion as right. we've been conditioned by kind of algorithmic life to think of all of ourselves as like every part of our life involves curation, seeing what we want to see, kind of bespokeification. The ads we see are tar- targeted and tailored to us. Sure. The news we see is targeted and tailored to us. This this sort of notion information that... Information outside yeah. our local community, information from anywhere, anytime... Absolutely. That changes everything. <laughs> yeah. So, like. <laughs> so this sort of remixing isn't just something that like people are doing privately, but the sort of institutional power is, sure. is out there. It's that the dominant default assumption in mm-hmm. so much of cont- American contemporary media, mm-hmm. various social media echo chambers, various sort of subcultures is that it's up to you to make your own reality. And I think this is downstream of a very profound nihilism, which is mm-hmm. comes from the idea that, well, you know, what what does it matter? None of this is really true, but as long as, you know, it gets you through the day, so whatever. Thank you guys so much for listening. This was our free episode. If you'd like to listen to the full length thing, the full conversation is on our Patreon at patreon.com slash I need God. If you sign up and you pay once, you could listen to all of our episodes full length as long as you'd like. And we do about two to three episodes a month. And you could just quit at any time, of course. And if you want to become an angel and really support this project and support our page and support me, I would love that. I shout out all the angels at the end of every episode. So let's just say a little prayer for them. Allison White, Emily June, Jenna Sequa, Neve Parker, and Nicole Gautier. For them, Lord, hear our prayer. This podcast has been kindly edited by David Sutrin.